Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Uh, well, guys, I'm so excited to be with you. I always love um, being here early in the morning, opening scripture, talking about Jesus together. No better way to start the day, right? Uh, some days probably feels uh, more energetic than others. I'm glad you're here. And it's officially winter. I feel I walked outside today. I was like, oh, we just, we're, we're in it now. Like, it's here. So glad we're here to start the day, opening the word and talking about Jesus. Let's just do that together. My question for you to start is, have you ever been in a hurry? Do you ever just get in a hurry? Um, with things. This happened to me the other day. I was at Kroger just trying to go fast. And I was getting a couple things and get home because, again, newborn. So I'm like, I got to go fast. I got to get home. There's tons to do. So bought a couple things at Kroger, checking out, grab all the bags, got home and unloaded. And I left one of the bags there. You know, just get in a hurry because I got to get home. And it's like, well, the trip was like useless. I had to go back, right? You just get in a hurry. Or you ever like left your coffee on top of the car and you're just in such a hurry, you speed off and you hear that clunk and you see it come down the window like, ah, oh, or your leftovers or whatever it is. You ever just get in a hurry like that? One thing I realize I just think is generally true is that what you spend time on, what you give your time to, says a lot about your heart. And when we can slow down that hurry and we can just really take time, what we slow down and stop and look in the eye, what we slow down and stop and give our time and attention to, let our heart settle, let our body be present, let our soul catch up to where we are physically, what we give our time to says a lot about our heart, I think is just true. Uh, I was reminded of this uh, again uh, a couple of weeks ago. So my family, um, every week on Saturday, we call it our Sabbath day. Um, it's not like a super legalistic thing for us, but it's the best day of our week. Um, we just rest. Um, that's my day off from work. Uh, my daughter obviously is home from school. We're just all home. And that's kind of our, we sleep in a little bit. Um, that's if we're just going to do something fun. That's the day. It's just kind of our all-in family day. We love it. Um, my daughter like looks for, on Monday, she's like, oh, I can't wait for Sabbath. It's, it's great. That's like our day to slow down, where we just kind of lose the hurry and slow down and have our Saturday. One of our traditions on Saturday is every Saturday morning we have Sabbath pancakes, and so we make pancakes. And I usually will get up and make pancakes for us in the morning. It's the only day of the week we do that. It's just one of our special things, and it helps that slow down thing. You know, you got to cook, and it takes a little more time, and we're slowing down and just eat together. It's the best way to start the day. So a couple of weeks ago, I was up, and I thought, I'm going to cook pancakes, and usually my daughter likes to help cook, which is wonderful but is not efficient or clean, right? So love that she helps. But this morning she was upstairs playing with Legos or something, and I thought, I'm going to cook by myself, and it's going to go so fast, and I'm going to be so impressive and helpful to my family. we got a new baby at home. We've got a daughter who just needs her daddy to come through for her and make breakfast fast. I'm sure she's hungry. I'm going to get it done before they even know. My wife's still asleep. It's going to be done. I'm going to go fast because nobody's bogging me down, right? So I start hurrying, and I'm like thinking to myself, so proud of myself. I am, I am making this happen pretty quickly. And cooking, cooking, cooking. I get the cinnamon. And at our house, they're like, we don't call them cinnamon pancakes, but they're essentially cinnamon pancakes, especially when my daughter helps. It's like, we let her put the cinnamon in. And it's like, it's a little much. So we just go for it, okay, with the cinnamon. So I grab the cinnamon and I'm like dumping it in. And you know how on like uh, spice shakers, there's like all the little holes. And then there's that big, like you lift the flap and you just dump it. You know what I mean? That's what we do. So I got the cinnamon out, dump it in the batter. It's like the last ingredient. And I'm moving quick. And I think, that looks like weird cinnamon. Cinnamon doesn't look right. 
Cinnamon doesn't smell right either. It wasn't cinnamon. It was the chili powder. So not good pancakes that day. And I was like, no, it ruined it. And I was in such a, so it took twice as long. I just got in a hurry and didn't take time. And I was so excited for how fast I was going to go that I wasn't valuing the whole point of the whole thing anyway, which is slowing down to have a relationship. Looking back, I wish I would have just called my daughter from downstairs, right? I just got in a hurry and didn't give my time to what really mattered most. And I think what we give our time to, what we slow down for, what we just take a breath and sit still in, says a lot about our heart. My heart that day was, go fast, be impressive. My heart that day wasn't, slow down, rest, value your family, show them your love. I miss that. And what I was doing out of my hurry, what I didn't take time for, showed a lot about my heart that day. I just think that's true for us. I think that's true for Jesus. And we see that in our passage today. That what he takes time for says a lot about his heart. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Mark 5. Um, and we'll start in verse 21 when we get there. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let me tell you about what's been happening in Mark so far up to this point. So Mark, like all of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell us a story about Jesus and his life and who he was and what he did. And they're all interested in telling us that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that God promised for centuries and generations that he would send to launch his new world into being. The, the one chosen person that God promised there will be a day when I send somebody to make everything that was wrong right. When I send somebody to make everything that's gotten off back on track. When I send somebody to make it possible for sins to be forgiven. So all four of the Gospels are interested in telling us that Jesus is that person. So they want to tell us who he is so that we can realize who he is. That he is the Messiah. God's chosen sent one to deliver people. So they're interested in telling us that Jesus is the Messiah and how he's the Messiah. So each of the four Gospels are going to give us kind of a specific lens on how he goes about saying, this is how God is changing the world through Jesus. So Mark's way of letting us in on the character of Jesus, up at least so far up to this point, but this is really true throughout Mark. If you ever read it, I think you'll feel this. And this is kind of Mark's intent, is he just tells story after story quickly. He moves really fast. One of Mark's favorite words in Greek is the word immediately. So sometimes you see it in English, sometimes you don't, but in Greek it's all over the place. Mark is moving fast, and he tells us tons of stories quickly about Jesus. I think what Mark is trying to tell us is that Jesus is the Messiah, and the way he's doing that is by bursting on the scene, changing stuff fast. And so if you just flip through the first four chapters up to this point of Mark, what you'll see is healing story, healing story, healing story. Go across the lake, heal somebody else, make those people mad. Come back across the lake, they cool down a little bit, heal somebody else, teach a little bit, get in trouble, go back across the lake, heal somebody else. So he kind of keeps going back and forth across these different regions, making everybody mad, but breaking into the world and saying, the world as it is is not going to stay the way it is. I have a new way of doing things, and Jesus is powerful, and he's action-packed, and he's moving fast, showing the world God is on the move, doing something big. You don't want to miss it. And in the meantime, he's kind of making everyone mad. So like Jesus has made the conservative religious people upset. Um, because he's talking to people he shouldn't be talking to, and he's healing on days he shouldn't be healing. Like, he's just doing all the wrong things. Uh, one of the things Jesus did in these first few chapters of Mark is he healed somebody, but he didn't just heal them. He also told him, your sins are forgiven. And that really made all the religious people mad, because like, who's just saying they can forgive sins? Only God can do that. And I think Jesus is like, I know, I know what I said, you know. The Jesus, and, and here's what I, before we get into like really what I want to say, I want to say this. I just want you guys to know and remember, some of you in the room need this reminder. Some of you in this room 
may just need to hear this for one of the first times today. That Jesus is action-packed and full of things to do and can accomplish things and change lives and do miraculous things. Jesus is powerful and has the ability to change your life and make it better in every possible way. But even more than that, when it really boils down deep, what Jesus is after is being able to look you in the eye and say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is full of action and full of ability and full of power and, and more than anything wants to say, I have the ability to forgive you of the things that you most regret and the things that you're most ashamed of. And so I, I just don't want to go further into our passage without saying that the version of Jesus that Mark is making sure we see, the, the side of Jesus Mark is making sure we catch in this story so far, is the side of Jesus that is full of stuff to do and change about the world and about our lives and is also full of a desire to make sure he meets you at a spiritual level and says, don't stay stuck in sin. Don't stay stuck in those patterns. I have a way to get you out. That's Jesus' biggest invitation to any of us. So let's just make sure we don't get, ever get lost in the big, fancy, fast-moving, Jesus has power to do miraculous things. He does. He also has power and desire to change the deep parts of your heart, and that's what he's after. And when you come to him and give your faith to him and give your trust to him, he can look at you and say, son, your sins are forgiven, just like he did that man earlier in Mark. So that's what Jesus has been doing. That's what Mark's been telling us about Jesus so far. People are upset. People are nervous. People are uncomfortable. But Jesus is also becoming famous. Crowds gather everywhere he goes. And that's kind of the story so far. So we're in Mark chapter 5. That's what's been happening. That's who Jesus is. That's what we've been seeing. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And I'm going to read through verse 34. That's our whole passage today. So let's read it all together. And then I'll kind of go back and make a few observations about our passage. So Mark 5, verse 21 says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Notice just real fast, look at verse 21 where it says there's a large crowd. And then Jairus says, I just have a little daughter. There's a large crowd, but there's a little daughter. And notice how Jesus responds to that. Jairus says, please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jesus leaves a large crowd for the little daughter. I think that says something about his heart and what he's willing to take time for. Then it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. In our passage today, five times, they're going to talk about crowds. Mark is very keen to make sure we know there's a crowd, there's a crowd, there's tons of people. But really, this story is about two individuals. Five times, crowd, 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 crowd. But the story is really about just two people. And what you take time for says a lot about your heart. So notice what Jesus does. Verse 25. And a woman was there, while Jesus is on his way to go heal this little girl, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So a woman in this state would have been um, kind of socially outcast. Like if she's bleeding like this, um, for Jewish people in that day, if you're bleeding outwardly, 
uh, you are unclean. That doesn't necessarily mean you're like evil, but they just knew, well, if you've, if you've got an issue, why don't you just stay home and take care of your issue? And then when you're all well, you can come back and then we can all worship together. But until then, you can't come to worship. That was kind of the stance. That was the, the Jewish law about the matter. Now for this woman, this is probably bleeding related to her monthly cycle. But for this woman, it seems like there's no cycle. It's relentless, ceaseless, constant, 12 years. So not only is that physically awful, but it's socially maybe worse because she's not allowed, she shouldn't be in a crowd like this. She wouldn't have been allowed to be in a crowd like this. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to worship. She wouldn't have been allowed to go in public. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to the market. Nobody would have wanted her. People would have been scared of her. People would have been angry at her for 12 years constantly. But this woman's in this crowd and has heard about Jesus and just thinks, If I can slink my way through the crowd, if I can stay hidden long enough just to get to him, maybe that can fix it. There's a large crowd and there's this one woman. I wonder what Jesus will make time for. Verse 29, once she touches him, it says immediately, there's Mark's word, immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, which I think is a great response to coming face to face with Jesus. You may as well tell him because he knows anyway. So she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So let's talk about this passage a little bit. I love this story. I love Jesus' tenderness in it. I love Jesus' generous spirit in it. That there's a large crowd, but there's a little daughter, and that deserves his attention. And there's another large crowd, but there's a hurting woman, and that gets his attention. And what you take time for says a lot about your heart. What we're going to talk about today is Jesus' heart for women. Jesus takes time for that in this passage when he could have been doing a lot of other things, but Jesus slows down and looks people in the eye and takes time for women, and that tells us a whole lot about his heart. Now, before we really get into talking about that, let me just kind of give this um, big picture starter that I just feel like I I want to share with you and, and be a starting point for our day. For Jesus, I just want to be really clear, for Jesus, this valuing of women, this heart for women is not a political issue. It's a people issue for Jesus. And I just think that if we're going to go to discussion after I'm done teaching, and you're going to talk about this at your tables and talk about how you can engage it and how you can grow in it and how you can apply this text to your lives. And I think that can be awesome. I think what our enemy would love more than anything today is for this discussion to stall out at a political conversation about cancel culture and about where society is headed and what's okay and what's not okay and how frustrating that can be. We're going to talk today about Jesus' heart for women, and I think our enemy would love to get you not to really talk about that, but to to make a socio-political commentary about what you see in the world. You know what I mean? So let's just talk about how that might be a temptation. And I want to be clear that that is not how Jesus approaches this issue. This is not a political issue for Jesus. It is certainly a politically complex issue. But the way Jesus expresses his heart for people doesn't get stalled out on a political conversation. In fact, Jesus is willing to offend both sides of the political issue in this. So the man who comes up to him and says, I need help with my daughter, is a synagogue ruler, which would have been one of the groups of people that was Jesus' political enemies. So like this guy who's a conservative Pharisee probably comes to Jesus and says, I need help. 
And Jesus has been making those people mad for the past four chapters. But he just says, yes, I'm coming. I'll help you. So he's willing to, to cross his political sensibilities because there's a person at stake who needs to be respected and valued and elevated and loved. And so he says, forget the political fr- uh, fighting. I'm going to help this little girl. And then while he's doing that, somebody from the opposite side of the political coin comes up to him, the outcast woman who would have been so uh, uh, left out, so discouraged, so disliked by the politically conservative elite. She comes to him, and Jesus doesn't get worried because he's with the synagogue guy, and if he takes time for her, he's going to make him mad. Like, no, I'm going to help you, which makes all of them mad, and I'm going to help her, which makes all of you mad. It's not a political issue for Jesus. He's willing to offend both sides of the political coin when there are people at stake who need to be loved and valued and respected. So I just want to ask us for the conversation today. Don't let this get stalled at a social or political frustration commentary. I know those are real conversations that are complex and difficult. But today, let's be like Jesus and say both sides of this coin, let's offend whoever we need to offend if it means people are loved and valued and respected and elevated the way Jesus would. I think that's his heart for this today for us. So that's what Jesus, I think, does in this. Willing to offend whoever he needs to offend to love and respect and value people who need it. So in the rest of this text, I want to point out three ways that I see Jesus' heart for women. And I think those are also invitations for us. We can share Jesus' heart for women in these same ways that I think we see Jesus have. Um, So here's the first one that I want to point out. A a way that we see Jesus' heart for women in this passage is, firstly, his eyes. We see his heart through his eyes, I think. So let me point out something. I think this is really interesting. This is probably my favorite thing I found when I was studying this passage um, this week. Um, So in verse 30... After this woman touches him, you know, it says, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So there's a huge crowd in a crowded street. There's no way he's really going to be able to know, right? Who touched my clothes? And that's what his disciples say. You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around, it says, to see who had done it. So the disciples say, you see these people, but Jesus kept looking to see her. What's really interesting to me about this is that in Greek, the original language that that Mark wrote this in, those are three different words for seeing. They're each a different word for seeing. So this first one, it it would almost be like, here's how you could translate it just with the Greek nuance, like the nuance of language I think we miss in English that is there originally. You could almost translate it like this, that when Jesus is saying, who touched me? The disciples are like, look at this crowd. Like, just look at this. How can you expect to just look look at what's in front of you? But, it, but Jesus was searching. That's kind of the implication of the Greek term. So the disciples are like, just look at what's in front of you. I mean, obviously, just look at this faceless mass. Just look at it. And Jesus says, no, I'm searching for something because I want to find her. That's kind of the implication of the three different words for see. They sit, they, in our Bible, it's see, kept looking, and see. But really, I think what the story is trying to convey to us is the disciples are like, look at this in front of you. Just look at the surface if you just see the surface, there's no way you can do this. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm looking, I'm looking around, I'm looking for something, I'm searching for something. And then searching specifically to see, to behold, to find the one who had done it. The disciples see kind of a faceless crowd. Jesus sees a crowd of individuals and knows that there's one in the crowd that needs his attention. And so I think what Jesus does with his eyes here is huge for the way he values women in the story. That he doesn't just look at a crowd and say, well, there's a bunch of people, I don't know what I could do about it. 
He doesn't just look at a crowd and say, like, well, everybody's needy here, so I'm glad she got what she needed, and I'll just move on. Jesus looks at the crowd and looks past it to the people in the crowd. He doesn't just see a faceless mass. He sees a bunch of people, and he uses his eyes to see a level deeper and doesn't just get caught on what would be easy. But he says, no, there's something else to see here. I'm not just looking at this. I see something. And not not only do I see something in all these people, but I know that there is a person here worth finding. There's a woman here worth finding. And she needs my eyes. I I just wonder uh, maybe um, if there's somebody like Jesus, I think, in this story. Uh, What Jesus does here, I think, is, is he knows that this woman needs to be seen and not just looked at. I think he knows this woman needs to be seen and not just looked at. And I wonder in our lives if there's somebody like that or if there's people like that. And especially if we're a group of men talking about this, this topic, Jesus' heart for women and how we can have a good and healthy and godly heart for women like Jesus did. I think one way we can do that is with our eyes to kind of look beneath that surface to say it's not just a faceless mass of women, but they're people who have stories who need to be seen, not just looked at. And I think that, that speaks to a couple different specific areas that I would want to challenge us into, like I think Jesus does. I would challenge us into, again, not just looking at what's on the surface and saying, well, there's this crowd of people and there's these women that I, think I, that I guess I need to be nicer to. <laughs> like I think that would be the, the reductionist temptation, right? But Jesus doesn't just look at a crowd and say, I should be nice. Jesus looks at people and says, what do they need? in order to feel respected and valued and loved. And he's willing to see that. But then the other thing that I might just want to specifically say to us here, now let me be clear, this passage is not about sexual purity. But this passage is certainly not about sexual impurity, right? And what we see here is three different ways they're talking about looking and seeing. And what I don't see here is any indication that there's any kind of impure looking or seeing. And so I would just say to us, to a room full of men, if we're going to have a heart for women like Jesus did, are we going to be able to use our eyes to see them and not just look at them? That's huge. I don't think I need to convince you that that's true. But I think we all need to sit in it sometimes, right? And just remember, if we're going to be able to live out a heart for women like Jesus had, then how can we control, discipline, correct our eyes to be sure that we're really seeing and not just looking? You know? And I think a call to purity for us if we're going to have heart for women like Jesus did is such a huge starting point. Because I think there's no way that Jesus can really just stop and look beyond a crowd and see an individual and find value and find beauty and find truth and find, find joy to give to her if he's, if he's not able to look with purity. So I think we need to be able to look with purity. And I think we need, need to be able to look a level deeper, not to just see a faceless group of women that we should be nicer to, but to see women and a woman, individual people who need to be loved on their own terms for who they are. Is that making sense? So here's the second. I think we see Jesus' heart through women, for women through his eyes and how he sees them and what he looks for, right? And making sure women are seen, not just looked at, but really seen for who they are. Here's the second one, though. I think Jesus uses his ears. I think we see Jesus' heart for women through his ears. This is a little tiny detail in this passage, but I think it's actually a a major thing, a major piece of it, and huge practical implications for us as men if we're going to love and respect and value women and have a heart for women in our lives. Look at this little detail in, um, in verse 33. 
It's when Jesus is looking around to see her. He's kind of searched the crowd and he's found her. Then it says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now, I think that the temptation, I even kind of mentioned it when we were first reading the text, that the tendency would be to make that little verse about her. And I think it is, right? She comes and tells him the truth. She's not hiding from Jesus. By the way, I, I would still make that a good application for us in this room today. It's not about the Jesus' heart for women thing. But let me just tell you, don't hide from Jesus. Tell him the whole truth. Let him see you. Let him know all of it. Because that's the only way he's really going to be able to redeem all of it. So let him know all of it. But here's the flip side of this. If this woman comes to Jesus and tells him the whole truth, the clear implication is that Jesus listens to the whole truth, right? So let's just be real practical for a minute as a group of men talking about how to have a good and godly heart for women. We need to use our ears to listen. And, and that, that may be really practical in your home. Like if you're married, you may really just need to listen. You know, put down the phone. Lock eyes, turn on your ears, and listen. And it may take longer than you want. Listen. Uh, this is hard for me sometimes with my daughter. I love, there's, there's few things I love more in the world than listening to my daughter tell stories, my seven-year-old. It's the best. But sometimes I'm like, you are rambling longer than I ever thought possible for anybody. Like, it takes so long to tell an inconsequential story from first grade, right? But how much value does it communicate to that girl? When I sit down and sit still and put my other stuff aside and turn off the football game because Michigan's not worth watching anyway, turn it off and listen. It communicates so much value if you just turn on your ears and listen. Um, so I think that just practically, you may have a wife, you may have a daughter, you may have, I mean, this is not just about women, this is about people, but you may have a wife, you may have a daughter that needs your value through your ears. You may have a coworker, you may have a friend that needs your value through your ears, practically. But here's a, maybe a level deeper that I might say too. This is not just about the time it takes to listen to people when they want to talk to you. I think this is also about being willing to humbly listen and say, you have a story to tell about an experience that I've never had. Jesus knows all our suffering and is the God of the universe, does not know what it's like to have a bleeding issue like this woman does. He never dealt with that. Jesus had to listen, to hear a version of a story that he never heard and never experienced and didn't have context for fully. Now, of course, he's Jesus and he knows everything, right? But still, he listened. And so I would just say for us as men, again, to, to, to go to that, like, don't let the political divide stifle this conversation for you. Sometimes we need to be willing to listen and say, okay, maybe uncomfortable for me to hear things about how maybe men have been offensive or oppressive or contributed to a society where women are not valued. That may be difficult for you to hear for any number of reasons. I would just challenge you, if you want to share Jesus' heart for women, be willing to slow down and listen to the whole truth and hear something in it you haven't heard before and be humble enough to admit that you don't know that experience fully and be honest enough to say, you have seen and experienced and gone through things that I will never have to. What can I learn? How can I use my ears to give you value and show you love? And what you take time for says a whole lot about your heart. I think Jesus took time to listen and to hear a side of a story that he hadn't heard. And I think there's a lot for us in that. If you want to share Jesus' heart for women, then use your ears to do it. Here's the third thing that Jesus does. He uses his eyes. He uses his ears. And I think thirdly, he uses his voice. We see Jesus' heart through women through his voice in this passage. 
Uh, and I see this uh, in a couple, a couple kind of specific ways in this passage. Um, here's the first one. In verse 34, this is after she tells him the story. In verse 34, it says, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus' tone was. The Bible doesn't give us, like, emojis to show us what Jesus was feeling, you know, in the moment. But I don't know about you. When I read this, this feels very tender to me. This doesn't feel like, okay, glad we're done. Get on with it. I've got a place to go. That's not at all what Jesus says. This is Jesus stopping a large crowd to look at an overlooked woman, taking time to listen to her, and then saying, daughter, go in peace. I'm glad you're well. Like this, this to me, and, and I'm, I'm reading emotion into it just honestly, because again, it doesn't tell us. But you tell me if, it, if you think it's different. When I read this, I see so much gentleness, don't you? Jesus talking to this woman when he's busy and got places to go and crowds clamoring after him. And he's got a girl on her deathbed who we're actually going to find out later dies while Jesus is in the process. So like this is urgent time for him. But he slows down and listens and looks her in the eyes and speaks tenderly and gently to her. And he uses his voice with gentleness and kindness and compassion. I just want to say that I think, I don't know that I have data to back this up. This is just my opinion. I think that maybe the most important characteristic, the most important character trait, personality trait for a godly man in our world today is gentleness. You can be gentle and still be strong. You can be gentle and still be direct. You can be gentle and still be a leader. You can be gentle and still have a lot to say. You can be gentle and not be passive. But I think gentleness, oozing out of the heart of godly men, draws people to a gentle and loving God that we serve, right? But I think anger and quickness and sharpness coming out of the hearts of men doesn't give people an accurate picture of who our Father is. I think gentleness among a society of strong, good, godly men says so much about who the king is that we serve. So I would just invite you to use your voice specifically, like Jesus says here, for gentleness and kindness. To use your words, the the power that anybody's words have in anybody's life. You know because you've experienced it. The power of words in your life. Things people have said to you, good or bad, it's powerful. You have that power in people's lives. And I might say especially for a group of men trying to live out a godly heart for women, Your words have so much power and so much weight. And how you use your voice for gentleness and not yelling, for kindness and not arguing, will go so far in representing the gospel to people. So I would just say, if you want to represent Jesus' heart for women, then use Jesus' same voice toward women with kindness and gentleness and compassion and patience and peace and tenderness. That stuff just oozes out of who Jesus is. And I think if that comes out of us, it's a beautiful thing that helps us live out his heart for women. So that's one way I see it. And I would just call you to gentleness and kindness in your speech. Here's the second thing, though, that I think is really interesting. At the beginning of this passage, we have a synagogue leader, an important man, coming to Jesus and saying, I need help for my daughter. So that little daughter has somebody who's a voice for her. That little daughter can't get to Jesus and plead her case. That little girl can't get there and speak up for herself. She doesn't have a voice in this story because she's at home bedridden. But also, there's a little girl running in the streets crying out for somebody's attention. Chances are they're not going to get it, right? Maybe Jesus, but typically, no. This little girl had somebody voicing her case. This woman had nobody to voice her case. She had no voice. No one would listen. Nobody would take time. Nobody wanted to hear what she had to say. 
Nobody would take time to actually hear her side of the story. I mean, it says that she's been to a bunch of doctors and they can't help her. How frustrating must that be? And I would just imagine, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but not much. I would imagine if this woman has been to a bunch of doctors and they've tried to help, but they can't, the, my guess is the response of most people in that society are going to be like, well, if they can't help you, I don't know what your problem is. That's going to probably be the tendency for people. This woman does not have a voice. She doesn't have anybody who will listen to her. She has no way to be heard or seen. So I would just challenge us, are there people in your circles who need a voice? Are there people in your circles who are overlooked? Are there women specifically in your life or your circles who need a voice, who need somebody to speak up on their behalf, who need, so Jairus comes and says, my daughter needs help. Jesus looks at this woman and says, daughter, go in peace. He is her voice. He calls her daughter when no one else did. He speaks up for her when no one else would. He stops and slows down when everyone else was passing by and pushing aside. Jesus was her voice. And so I would just ask you, are there women in your circle, in your life, who need your voice, who need you to speak up for them, who need you to put in a good word for them? And again, this can be uncomfortable for us to talk about, and it's complex, and I don't have all the answers to it, but there are places and times and circumstances and contexts in which women are far more overlooked than men tend to be. Is there a place, is there someone in your circle that you can use your voice to draw attention and give voice to a voiceless person, voice to a voiceless woman who wouldn't do it on her, wouldn't be able to do it on her own. I think that's what Jesus does in this passage. He uses his voice to draw attention to someone who needed it. And I wonder if there's someone that you can do that for. And by the way, that can be, that can sound like a big major, like I'm gonna use my voice to plead the case of, you know, and that can be huge. Maybe it is huge. Maybe it's small, maybe it's even encouragement. Like, can you think of women in your life who need encouragement? and who so often get overlooked and have nobody voicing just how much they do and how hard they work and how difficult it must be to be a single mom and work, to be a mom with kids at home and manage childcare and get to the office and still work, to, to be a woman in a world that's trying to figure out how to have men and women interact together with integrity. Like, that's difficult. So our voice of encouragement goes a long way. I would just say, think in your circles. It doesn't have to be this big, I will be a voice for the voiceless and change the world. Maybe it is for you, but maybe it's smaller than that. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's noticing hard work. Maybe it's giving value where it's just overlooked otherwise. I think that's the kind of thing Jesus does here. He sees effort. He sees faith. He sees the courage of this woman that no one else would give the time of day to. And he gets down, I think, and just looks her in the eye. It's just it's so tender. Daughter. I see what you did. I see how hard you worked. I see these 12 years that have been misery for you. I see it. I noticed it. Wow, I'm proud of you. You've done a good job. Like, I think that's what Jesus is conveying here. And I just wonder if there's someone in your circle that might be able to use your voice to carry them into the next chapter of their walk. So I think we see Jesus' heart for women in this passage through his eyes, through his ears, through his voice. And I would just challenge you to join Jesus in that heart for women. To open your eyes to see people around you. It's not just a crowd. It's not just an issue. Certainly not just a political problem. It's a people issue. To open your eyes around you and say, okay, who needs to be seen here and not just looked at? And I would challenge you to use your ears to slow down and listen and take time to hear, but to also take humility to hear beneath the surface and say, are there hard things that I need to hear and learn that might be uncomfortable for me? And I would just challenge you and invite you, would you use your voice 
to give a voice to someone who doesn't have it, to give encouragement to someone who needs it. And I think if we live out those things, then we're living out Jesus's heart for women in a way that might just be really powerful for the people around you, for our church, for the world around you, for your workplace, for your homes, for your family, for your friendships. And when we live out a godly heart for women, full of integrity, full of wisdom, wise boundaries, of course, all those things. But when we live out Jesus's heart for women in this kind of loving, gentle, tender way that sees and doesn't just look, and that hears and doesn't pass by, and that gives a voice and doesn't ignore, I think that's when we're living out Jesus's heart for women. And I think that's when our heart lines up more with his. So I'm gonna invite you into that kind of life like we see in Jesus. Let me pray for you and send you into a time of discussion at your tables. God, I'm so grateful for your word and how powerful it is. I'm grateful that um, in a little story like this even, uh, I think there's so much for us in our society, in our day and age, where we just need to hear from you, where we need to be led by you and challenged and changed by you. Um, there's just so much in this passage, God, that I needed to be reminded of and challenged by, to slow down and listen, um, to not be in such a hurry that I miss out the most important things. God, would you help us be people who give our time to what matters most? Would you convict us, God, even heading into this table time? Um, when, when these guys are surrounded by men who care about them and who want to know them and want to help them follow you, would you convict us if there are places where we're in too much of a hurry and we're not giving time to what matters most? Would you bring to mind if there are people who need our time and they'll benefit from it spiritually and we just haven't been giving it? God, would you open our eyes um, if we need to be humbled and be able to admit um, that there are things about women we don't understand or there are things about... Um, the experience of living life as a female in our world that are hard for us to understand and we don't fully get, would you humble us enough to listen to that? Um, and God, I do pray, like I've mentioned, I just pray that the conversation today would not stall at social, political issues. I know those things are there and they're difficult and complex. Let today not be the day for that. Let today be the day for honest, humble, um, repentant, helpful conversation towards how we can reflect your love better into the world for half of the population to love your daughters really well um, and to be men who represent you to them with all purity, with all integrity, and with all kindness and gentleness. So God, let this be a room full of men that all those things would be true of, that we would just be gentle uh, and still bold and still strong, but gentle. Uh, and in that way, let us reveal the heart of Christ to people around us, in particular uh, today, women in our circles uh, who need that. So God, be in discussion today. Uh, let it be fruitful. Let it be helpful. And I pray that your word would accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 